to the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lufkin, Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you should find yourself in our neighborhood, please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org. Dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just before church this morning, I was talking to Sandy, and she mentioned how in his younger halcyon days, Jim was known to be a high roller up in Bossier City from time to time. And she had this one incident that she shared with me. thought it was rather um, to the point. And Sandy said that Jim was sitting at the blackjack table and wondering what he was doing there. Just then he remembered seeing a sign in the casino that read, If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, Jim pulled out his cell phone and made the call. Hello? A man on the other end answered. And Jim replied, I have a gambling problem. It's good you called, the man on the other end said. I want to acknowledge you for taking a step in the right direction. Now, let's get a bit more specific about your problem. Okay, Jim answered. I have an ace and a six. The dealer has a seven. What do I do? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think that's exactly what the man on the other end of the phone was thinking. but, But when you get down to it, the gospel lesson today tells us about something where maybe it's not what anyone really quite expected to have happen. What we do expect, as it's laid out, is that it might be sort of like a reporter's account of an incident that happened, something that was newsworthy and needed to be shared with the public. Of course, this was much after the fact. This writer of the Gospel of Matthew um, wasn't really, he wasn't there. He wasn't even one of the disciples, not this Matthew. He was... um, not a reporter by trade, more of a creative author. What he was was a Jew who didn't usually make up reports. When he wanted to get something across, he, like his Middle Eastern contemporaries, wrote it down with sort of an artistic flair for the dramatic. For this story, that's much more recently been titled The Transfiguration, or The Transfiguration of Our Lord, Matthew pulled together some old themes, metaphors that were familiar to every devout Jew, and he shared an event in our Lord's life that brings Jesus into a direct correlation to his people's past history with an eye to the future. Or maybe... I can say that it was God's doing that Jesus, that Matthew was assigned to put down on paper 
But in any case, let's take a look at this familiar incident. First, there was the mountaintop. Because that's where God seemed to hang out at critical times in the past. The ark landed on Mount Ararat after the world was flooded. And after it landed up there, it spilled forth Noah and his surviving family and all of those animals. It was on the mountain where Moses encountered God in the burning bush and where he was charged with leading those Hebrew people enslaved in, in Egypt to their, their freedom. It was again on the mountain in the Sinai Peninsula where God issued those Ten Commandments, and then again at the end of Moses' life, it was up on Mount Pisgah that God showed him the promised land where the nation of Israel was to be established. Moses wouldn't get to go there himself. He had already reached the pinnacle of his lifetime, but he could glimpse the future from that height. The next thing that Matthew did was to carefully position his tail right smack between those two major moments of Jesus' life. First, his, his call, his commissioning, if you will, and his baptism at the Jordan River with John. That was the point where that voice from heaven declared him to be his beloved son with the, with the charge to listen to him. Yeah. And then shortly after, Jesus was led into the wilderness, or driven there. You get to take your pick among the different gospel accounts. But, in any case, found himself out in that wilderness, low on food, certainly very low on creature comforts, and having to deal with the temptations. All of this preceding his, his beginning, his, his um, mission in the world. And... On the other side of this event, there was Jesus' passion and his death when all was failure. It began with the call of God saying, this is my son, and at the end it was Jesus crying out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken or abandoned me? But that wasn't the end of the story. Nevertheless, the transfiguration account was to be an important bridge between those two, the beginning of his mission and the completion of his mission. We need to remember that. And this is really what it meant. There was so much joy and promise at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Crowds came to hear him. I mean, bigger crowds than come to hear me, if you can believe that. Well, yes. Of course, he was the Savior, and I'm the pastor. <laughs> There's a difference. At the end, there was so much sadness and disappointment that Jesus' disciples were beginning to wonder, where is God in all of this? Or is God even there? Or maybe it was all just a figment of our hopeful imagination all these things that Jesus spoke about, that we spoke about him, the Messiah, the Savior, the beginner of a new age of freedom and goodness. We go through that every time a new president is elected, and it doesn't take long at all for the 
the objections to start. Well, after Jesus was nailed to the cross, people began to wonder, was it all true? Were any of these promises based in reality? Or is it all just wishful thinking and delusion? It's a time when they needed hope. They needed something to grab onto, something to illuminate the future. Let's go back for a moment to that time of surprise on the mountaintop. There are Jesus and, of course, Peter and James and John, and they're contentedly, these disciples, contentedly traveling with their dear companion and mentor. Suddenly, right there before their eyes, Jesus seems to change. The kind of thing that makes you wonder if you're having a stroke. Is this real? Nah. Yes. Whoa. Do you see what I see? Yes, I do. I think I do. I don't know what you see, but what I see is, oh my God. We use that term loosely, but the disciples could do it because he was their God. And suddenly his clothing shines with fire and he's brilliant with promise and hope and joy. And then, lo and behold, and don't ask me how they knew who they were, but suddenly there were those two old paragons of Jewish history right there with them, Moses and Elijah conversing with Jesus just just like old school friends. And suddenly... Just like that baptism incident, a booming heavenly voice saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. No mistaking the words or the source. There's something about this event that demands it not be forgotten or lost among all the other amazing incidents in Jesus' life. I mean, there were just the three of those disciples there. It wasn't a whole crowd of people, or it wasn't all 12 disciples. It was just those three plus Jesus. And then, of course, the irony at the close of this transfiguration event, in Jesus' own words, his insistence that you better not tell anyone what you've experienced today, what you've seen. Keep it a secret. Keep it under your hat until after I'm raised from the dead. We can almost sense what the disciples were thinking. From the dead? Where did that come from? I mean, whoa, we just faced we just experienced a glory event. And then there was Moses. Nobody saw him dead. Nobody buried him. He was on the mountaintop with God, and the tradition was that Moses was led to heaven, just like Elijah in the flaming chariot. Jesus die? Impossible. And all this springtime of light and cloud and voice-giving affirmation, Jesus is talking about gloom and doom. Where is there hope to be found in all of this? Where is our vantage point to see the future? Where is our expectation? We have the advantage, you and I, if you can call it that, of knowing what lies ahead for Jesus and the disciples. We know all about Palm Sunday with its excited crowds praising Jesus, calling him Son of David and other wonderful things. We know all about Maundy Thursday, the betrayal and the arrest and the humiliation and the condemnation. 
And we also sadly know all about Good Friday with its specter of the cross and the grave. But praise be to God, you and I are also blessed to know about about Easter. But for those who stood watching that awesome scene on the mountaintop, there was none of this at all. But this was a crucial time for them, an ace up the sleeve, if you will. They needed it for the dark times that lay ahead. The transfiguration incident was meant to be like a memory card for the disciples to play when they needed it. And they would need it later when they were faced with the death that Jesus mysteriously spoke about at the time. They didn't understand it then. But, oh brother, would they come to understand it later. Today, with Ash Wednesday only three days away, with the whole season of Lent, that time of introspection and rededication, and with the awesome events of Holy Week and Easter, glory be, still before us. The Transfiguration stands as an illuminating gift to us, or like a light by the doorway. We're ready to enter, and now we can see where we need to go. For the disciples, the Transfiguration revealed the shining Savior to be. And at the same time, Jesus' words of impending doom cast a gloomy shadow over the encroaching days to come. And they found themselves caught and squeezed right in between. But the promise today for you and I is this. By our Lord's brilliance, and of course by his redeeming love, you and I shall be carried through the stormy days and dark nights of our own lives and into a blessed eternity. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.